My name is Lynn Thomas. I've been coming to, here to Munger Place for the last year and a half. I uh, was diagnosed with glaucoma years ago, and at that time I chose to ignore it. And that decision proved to be very devastating to me. If you can imagine a dark, dirty, dingy, watery-like world of shadowy, silhouette shapes, you know, that's what my eyesight is like. Walking here uh, every Sunday is a challenge, you know, just navigating the sidewalks and the streets, but I think it's worth it. The more that my vision decreases, uh, my, my view of God increases. You know, he guides my every step. He uh, provides for me and he resides in me and he's, he's there to stay. Back in January of this year, I uh, committed myself and made a conscious decision to uh, tithe 10% of my income, mainly inspired by scripture, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10. And it's God speaking to his people, and he says, uh, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and his house being Munger Place. Munger Place is God's house and the food that I bring is financial food, is fellowship and faithfulness. My name is Lynn and I'm all in because I've made a commitment to Christ, I've made a commitment to this church, I've made a commitment to this community and really made a commitment to a consistent Christian character that I will try to maintain to the best of my ability. Amen. Good morning. My name is Andrew. Welcome to Worship at Munger Place. I'm glad you're here. Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, the people cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had palm branches, they threw them down. They had their cloaks, their outer garments, and they threw them down as this holy man, this carpenter, they called Jesus from the little town of Nazareth up north, came to Jerusalem, the capital city. Not on a big horse, a war charger, but with a, on a donkey, on a simple colt. It started like this. Jesus spent most of his time in ministry in Galilee, which is in the north. It was the back country. It was West Texas, so to speak. But here he is, which will turn out to be the last week of his life, and he's coming right into the center of the capital city of God's people, Jerusalem. And Jesus made some preparations. This is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. This is the story of the first Palm Sunday. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, which is the place you can still go today, isn't it amazing to think that people are currently walking, doing business, eating lunch, having conversations at the same place where Jesus walked, the Mount of Olives. As they approached the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, which is what you think they would ask, what are you doing untying that colt? 
And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they had brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road. This was a big deal. While others spread branches they had cut in the fields, and those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. That's a powerful phrase. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. God, pour out your blessing on the reading and hearing of your word. In the same way that we desire food when we're hungry and water when we're thirsty and sleep when we're tired, we desire, Lord, that you would speak to us today. So take my words, Lord, and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them and take our hearts and light them up on fire for you and your precious world. Amen. Hosanna, the people shout. And what they're doing that day, I believe, is a form of worship. They're worshiping this one. Now, they don't know a whole lot about him. He has a a great reputation among the common people as a holy man, a, a wonder worker, a healer, a teacher of God's truth. And the common people were just enthralled with him. And he came into the town that day, the city. And I, I don't know if you've ever been part of a parade or expecting a dignitary, but there's sort of a buzz when you're waiting for that person to approach. I imagine it was like this for Jesus that day. And they throw down their cloaks and they throw down their palm branches and they shout. And to me, that's a powerful symbol, that gesture. I know it's just a symbolic gesture, but I find it very powerful and instructive for us. The throwing down of the branches, the throwing down of the cloaks before Jesus. We're talking in this church for the last several weeks about a topic that I find very important. It is, what does it look like to to make a commitment that's all in? We said, you know, there's a point in all of our lives where it's okay to check the tires, but you can't do that forever. There's a point to sit on the fence and consider your options, but you can't do that forever. There's a point to stay lukewarm, but you can't do that forever. And particularly, if we're going to be a church that's going to make a difference in East Dallas and beyond... We're going to have to be people who commit to our God and say we're going to be all in. If, if we're just going to be fence sitters, if we're just going to be lukewarm, this church won't make a difference in this neighborhood most likely. But through all times and places when God's people have made a, a commitment to hold nothing back, they're used in powerful ways. We've been seeing videos of people in our church. These people are not perfect. They wouldn't claim to be. But they've made certain decisions in their lives and they said, I'm not going to let that be an excuse any longer. When I heard Lynn Thomas's story, which you just saw a few minutes ago, I thought the congregation needs to hear about this. This is a person in pretty serious physical and financial difficulty. And yet he's made a choice. He said, I'm going to be all in with joy. I'm not going to use, as Kate was just saying to us this morning, I'm not going to use these things in my life as an excuse not to be grateful to be alive. And he said, you know, he... He is in straightened financial circumstances, but he said, I'm going to take that disability check, which I live on, and I'm going to give a tithe, that is 10%, for the work of God, which he's doing here through this local church. I'm telling you, if we had people in our church who were making those kind of commitments, who are saying, God, I know I'm not perfect, but you can use me anyway, I'm just going to be all in. Oh, gosh, we could do great things here in the city. And I love the example of the guy's standing before Christ and yelling Hosanna and throwing down their cloaks. 
Because I want to talk today to finish our, conclude our all-in series about what it means to worship. And this is the definition in my mind, what I've come up with with worship. This is my definition. Worship is your commitment to whatever you believe is best and most important in your life. Worship is a commitment to whatever you believe is best and most important in your life. Now, obviously, I think that would be God. And I think we should make a commitment to worship God. But with that sort of definition, you can see how the Bible writers were so sharp to call us out on worshiping lots of different things. You can worship all kinds of things other than God that you think are best or most important in your life. In fact, you can even attend worship services on a Sunday but not really be worshiping God because you're just sort of here checking the box, but Monday through Saturday is when your true pursuit is. So for example, maybe there's people that you know, maybe this is you. Career success is what you worship because career success, getting ahead, being blessed, uh, being compensated financially, that's what you consider to be uh, best and most important. You can worship your body. There's a lot of people, particularly in Dallas, who, who think... <laughs> who, who think that the way they look is what's most important and what's best and they worship it and that's what they're devoted towards you can worship money obviously we know that Jesus talks about that all the time you can think you never have enough you don't have enough to give you don't have enough to be comfortable it doesn't matter how much you have but you're worshiping it because money is what's best and most important you can even worship your kids there's people that I know who, who care for their kids and obviously I think being committed to your children is a very good thing. But it's not most important, and it's not what's best. And you can see the dysfunction that arises when someone is worshiping their children. And the problem with all these things, I would say, is that when you worship the wrong thing, it screws up your life. It's fine to be prudent about money, but when you worship money, it will destroy you. It's fine to take care of your body, but that's when you worship. When you age, which all of us will, it destroys you. So my question for you today is, what are you worshiping? Who or what am I worshiping? Really. What is it that we're committed to saying is best and most important in our lives? What I'd like to do today is not convince you that you should be worshiping the Lord. I know we have all sorts of people here today, some who believe, some who don't, some are on a few steps on their journey, some who have been walking a long time with the Lord. But I'd like to, for you to leave here but without thinking that you can both worship God and something else. You can choose to worship something else, but you cannot choose and claim to worship God and something else. It doesn't work. You can only have one Lord, so to speak. So who's your Lord? Who's it going to be? What's best and most important in your life and what's your commitment toward it? But I love this example of these Simple people in Jerusalem shouting Hosanna when Jesus came in and throwing down their branches and their cloaks in front of him. And I think there's something instructive there about what true worship looks like. See, they understood, although they didn't really quite understand who Jesus was, as we'll talk about in a second. They understood that there's something about throwing down what else you have going on when the object of your worship arrives. So I'm just wondering today, what is it that you're holding in your hands that you need to throw down, just like those people 2,000 years ago, so you can worship God? What are you holding? Because you can't do both. Any commitment 
requires consequent no's. And a yes over here means you gotta say a no over here. For example, this weekend is the final four and there are these young men and young women who have absolutely devoted themselves to excellence in basketball. And of course, that means they're practicing when other people are partying. That means they're going to the gym early and staying late. That means they're working on the fundamentals. And they, they haven't just done that in the last week. They've been doing that for the last 20 years. Because they know if they're making a commitment to play basketball, they're going to have to say no to other things. It's the same thing with marriage. When you stand up before God and people and take a vow in marriage, you're saying yes to your spouse and yes to that commitment and no to other things. I remember on my wedding day, uh, right when we stood up to take the vows, my wife's name is Elaine, and we had, uh, I remember there's lots of women there that were crying, and I remember I was crying. Um, they were crying because I was going to be off the market, and, uh, <laughs> and I was crying because I felt so bad for them. So <laughs> any yes requires a no. That's just how it works. In the same way, in the same way, if you're going to make a commitment to worship God, you're going to have to say no to other things. You're going to have to throw some things down. What is it today that you need to throw down? Here's one. A lot of us are Christians. We're card-carrying Christians, but we're still sort of keeping our options open with regard to what we worship. We'll come on Sunday morning to church and let our neighbors know that we're Christians, but we still are sort of worshiping career success, so we're worshiping financial security. Are you worshiping those things today? Those are not bad things, but are they a, a worthy object to worship? Maybe today you need to throw that down. Another thing that I find a lot of people uh, with their hands full of are intellectual questions about the faith. Now, you don't all know me, so you don't know my heart on this issue, but I hope that this is a church and we have an environment around here that is committed to radical honesty. If there's something that you don't understand or don't believe, please hear it from me. Never, ever just say that you believe it so that people won't ask hard questions. I hope we're people who ask hard questions, who don't take the pat answers, who reject sentimentality and superficiality. But there's a point in which it's, you're just gonna, you're gonna have to be there and you're gonna just gonna have to throw down your questions at some point. Anyone who's ever walked very long with God knows that not everything is resolved. Some hard issues come back. But you can't use them as an excuse any longer. And I'm just wondering today, I don't know you. Maybe you're here and maybe you are just after honest inquiry. But maybe you're here and you're using those things as an excuse to keep the ultimate questions about your relationship to God at arm's length. But what about this? But what about that? I don't know where your heart is on the issue, but you need to ask yourself a hard question. Are you using these things as just an excuse or is it time to throw them down, to lay them down in front of the Lord and make a commitment? What about those of you here today who are just so um, guilt-ridden and burdened by shame from your past? I, I, every week we have people who walk in these doors who are just full of fear. They can't believe they're walking into a church again, that no one will accept them, that if, that if, that if we knew the truth about them, we would lock the door. I'm just wondering if today is time for you, and I'll explain it in a little bit, where it's time for you just to realize that before God, you don't hold on to guilt any longer, you throw it down. You just throw it down. Is that your story today? 
What is it today that you're holding that's keeping you from worshiping God? And if you're not sure that you want to worship this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that came to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, if you're not sure that you want to worship this God, are you having excuses to keep yourself from coming to those questions or are you still just honestly searching? It might be time for you just to throw some things down in his path. See, what happened was that those simple people in Jerusalem, they saw Jesus coming in, they had heard about him, they were under Roman occupation and they thought, here is the one we need. And so they cried, Hosanna, which just means God save us. Lord, save us. It's just a, it's a political shout. Hosanna, blessed is the one who's coming in the name of the Lord. But Jesus wasn't that sort of savior. In fact, as Mark tells us, he came into the city that day, just looked around and left. And the week, I think, that led up to his death was a week of disappointment for these people who shouted in the street because he wasn't the person they thought he was going to be. Are you holding on to resentment today against God because God wasn't the guy that you thought that he would be? Have you created a God in your own image? Or are you trusting the, the God of the faith? In any case, the people that day, they were upset after Christ left. and The same people who cheered on Palm Sunday were the same ones who jeered, crucify him on Good Friday. Because what they didn't understand is that what Christ ultimately came to do was not to be a sort of political savior, not to be somebody who just helps you in your finances or in your self-control or helps your marriage be better, but a God who came to save us from what we most desperately need, which is ourselves, which is the evil and sin in the world. And the way he came to do it was through being jeered and being crucified on that hill in Jerusalem. What are you holding today in your hands that you're just going to need to throw down at the feet of that God, so to speak? And this matters. This is not just about 2,000 years ago or that's what Mark is talking about. It matters to us today. When I was in the church, I was probably about 17 years old in my church youth group. We went on Monday, Thursday, which is the Thursday that precedes Easter. We went to another local rural church to watch, not a passion play, but like a passion reenactment. It's one of the things where you think the, the men in the church have been waiting all, eagerly all year for this day because they get to pull out of their closets the Roman soldier costumes and uh, wear sandals and, and dress up and put the bathrobes on and just play the part. So we went there and, you know, there's a donkey and they try to recreate like ancient Jerusalem. I remember a pilot or the guy who was playing pilot stood up there and said, what would you have me do with this man? And I remember the guys in the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> and I've thought about that every year since then. It's probably been over 15 years now. I love that. Crucify him. But I think unintentionally those guys made a very profound point. See, this is really our story. It's not just about what happened. It's about what is happening. See, we are people in desperate need of a Savior. Flip open the newspaper, turn on the television, look at the headlines. This world is a mess. Look at your own heart, look at your families, look at our community. We are people who need to cry out, God save us. And yet often, 
we're worshiping the wrong thing. We're thinking of a different sort of God. And the same one who rode in on the humble donkey is the same one who was crucified. And in a way, you and I are the ones who are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We take the greatest gift that God has given us and we waste it. That's about who we are. That's about who I am. But of course, the story of the scriptures is that God is a God who saves us even when we reject him. He was rejected on the cross but raised again on Easter Sunday. And this is why it is appropriate for us to throw all things down in a commitment to worship that God because we have a God who himself laid himself down for us. To put it in the language of the Gospel of John, the word became flesh. God dwelt among us, to put it in the language of Second Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Although Jesus was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself to the point of humility of the death on a cross. And so when we lay things down in worship, we are only doing so as a response to what God has already done for us. This is why if you're here today, your worries about money, your commitment to your career, the shame that's dogging you, your intellectual questions, all they are appropriate to lay down before this God. Because we have a God who, at the very nature of all things, is about the laying down of himself. And so I'm just wondering today, and there is no one, no one, no one that can answer this question other than you. What is it today that you're holding on to that's keeping you from making this commitment to Christ, that's keeping you from worship? Let's pray. God, would you just give us the courage to trust you, to throw all these things down before you, the good things, the bad things, to trust you so that we know when you're first, we can have a peace that you promise, a peace that's beyond understanding, so that we know when we worship you, the burden you give us is a light one, and your yoke is easy, and you give us rest. Lord, through the songs, through communion, tug at us, Lord. Show us the things in our lives which we need to lay down before you, and give us hearts that are committed to true worship. We ask all this in your name. Amen.